0: and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to the lounge room this evening i am lucky enough to be joined by the wonderful susan Erbacker. susan thank you so much for joining me
1: thank you for having me tom
0: uh, my, my absolute pleasure i've just to, just to set the scene it's a wednesday evening um you've taken some time out of what i'm sure is a busy busy evening for you to sit down and have a chat with me what, can you just say the what's going on uh, down on your end?
1: Oh, Tom, it's it's bedtime and I and I hope we won't hear too many of my children interrupting our little chat because it's 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 always a bit hectic in our house at this time. But hopefully we we'll get some peace and quiet, which yeah. would be very, very nice.
0: Uh, no, no, to- I'm sure we will. But just to set the scene for the uh, for the listeners, when when I called in and um, you and I were first talking to each other, there were five boys. Four boys. All, four boys, all standing there, look, looking at me. It was extremely confronting. No, that they that, that were the <laughs> cutest kids ever. So you are you. You have seven children. What's the ratio?
1: Um, so we have three girls first, and then four boys.
0: Three girls, four boys. Uh, congratulations, cute kids, wonderful kids. So I, I I have the benefit of seeing them all from afar, um, and that's 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 just great. But Thank let's you. let's talk about you so you are originally from Ireland are you not? That's right and um, I'd, l- I'd like to hear your story from from the very very start so can, can you tell me whereabouts from uh, from Ireland
1: you are? Oh. Um, I'm from County Cork which is um, at the south of Ireland and um, I was Born and raised in, in a little town called Kenturk in North Cork, a very small rural town. My, my father was in the bank there for many years. And we we lived there until I was about 16. I went to, to school there and went to mass there, and our little lives, our lives revolved around that little town. We, we knew everybody, and everybody knew us. And that that came with its pros and cons because Small towns can be can be quite insular and narrow-minded, and yet you have the benefit of community when everybody knows you and everybody everybody is there for you if if you need them. Um, and my father was in the bank, and he retired, and then we we moved to my parents' roots, and they're from West Cork, which is quite scenic. Um, my mother is from Bantry, and we moved we moved to Bantry. It's it's a beautiful little town. Um, on, on Banshee Bay, there's a beautiful song about called Banshee Bay. And um, we, we moved there. I suppose my parents wanted to go back to their roots. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful area. And, and then- I just stop you
0: there. So you, you've got this beautiful Irish accent and you're saying things like the little town, um, it, it just sounds wonderful and beautiful. So you can paint, paint a bit of a visual picture. I mean, I'm sure that you just saying it's a little town. It's probably not doing it justice. What, what does a little town look like?
1: Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so Bantry is a town, oh, and I guess maybe now it probably has maybe a population of about four or 5,000 people. Pro- yeah, at most four or 5,000 people. It's, um, it's at, at the mouth of a harbor and at the foot of the hills. So it's it's really spectacular, and my parents have a house about a mile from the town. So up on the hill, so their house overlooks the town, and Banshee Bay, and the mountains, and Whitty Island, and you can see all the way your down. Palms it's...
0: And the rainbow.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Just not perfect. laughs> it's it's quite it's it's I can't think about it without being nostalgic because it no. it truly is beautiful. Yep. Um. It's it, it it's it's just spectacular. I it at Banshee Bay on on any day is is spectacular on a rainy day. It's interesting with the clouds coming over the hills and on a sunny day when you can see, you know, 30 miles to, to Beira and to Castletown Bear, it's absolutely spectacular. So it's they're they're blessed and we're blessed to to come from such a beautiful part of the world.
0: Okay. And can you, can you tell me a little bit about your family? So you're one of how many?
1: I'm one of two girls. So I, I just have one older sister um, called Miriam and she's, she lives in Ireland. She's married and has six children and my parents are, are still in Bentry. Okay.
0: You're, you're not the only one with a large family.
1: No, no I'm not, you know we, there were only two of us and my parents would have loved more children and I guess Miriam and I you know longed for for more family and she she always wanted to have the big family and so did I so we're truly blessed to, to be living the dream.
0: Yeah well oh, that's wonderful and you were you were brought up Catholic? That's right. Okay and can you can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Ireland? Catholic
1: Ireland in a Catholic family? Um, Well, I guess, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, I went to Catholic school. We went to the local church for mass every Sunday. Everybody did that. Everybody went to Catholic school. Everybody went to mass on Sundays. But I guess looking back, a lot of it was not was catholic in name only which which is very sad to think and you know i feel like sometimes i'm am bursting people's bubble about catholic ireland because unfortunately you know now catholic ireland has really you know gone down the drain but even then you know in it was catholic in a lot of ways in name only we we went to to mass my my family was always very very devout and we always said the rosary every night but i don't think other families were quite so much and i suppose you can see that now and that so many so many families have just fallen away from the faith and ireland is far from the stronghold of the faith that it once was um but i suppose then you know we have so many catholic you know traditions as part of our culture um it's, you know, St. Patrick's Day and Christmas, Easter. You know, I suppose even when people go to Ireland, they think they just you see Catholicism everywhere. And and it's true. It's everywhere. There are churches, you know, in every small town has a church. Every town has many churches. Big towns have many churches. Um, you drive around the country and there are little Calvaries on the side of the road. There are, you know, What's a Calvary? Broth- a calvary is um, a, a crucifix on the side of the road with often you know Our Lady on one side and Mary Magdalene on the other side um, and that's just as part of people's devotion they would have been erected just to show their their Catholic devotion and their Catholic, their Catholic you know their their devotion to our Lord but I guess you know Catholic schools even when I was in school a long time ago the teaching the faith wasn't what it should have been or it could have been. Um, and um, I guess, you know, you can really see that now. It's, um, the faith is, it, it wasn't taught very well. And the fruits we could see now because so many Irish Catholics have just fallen away from the faith. Wow. And it's it's very sad.
0: Yeah, no. but it's but still interesting when you say, Everybody used to go to mass. So fast forward, you know, 2020, I grew up in the the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm probably what you'd call a millennial, even though I resent that that term. (laughs) Um, um, I I probably am one. um, But living in uh, contemporary Australian society, uh, you are a practising Catholic. You are in the minority. People look yeah. at you really, really strangely when they find out and discover that you practice a religion seriously um, mm-hmm. or of any form, let alone Catholicism. Um, mm-hmm. But that that's just seems like it's in stark contrast with what you're describing. When, when you say everybody went to mass, put, put aside the you know, what people derived from it, but are, yeah. you, everybody, are you saying that everybody used to sort of habitually practice, at least externally?
1: Yes. Yes, Tom. I mean, I remember as a child going to mass in Kenturk was where I grew up um, as a small child. And, you know, we would go to mass on Sunday and the car park would be full. The church would be full. Everybody went. It was an absolute given. Everybody went to mass. I don't think I knew. I I don't think I knew of anybody who didn't go to mass. Even the bad did. (laughs) Everybody just went, you know, it was just one of those things.
0: Yeah. Wow, incredible! Can you, can you tell me what it was like growing up in Ireland?
1: Um, I know that's
0: probably really broad. Sorry, that's probably not a fair a fair question. Um, but but did you do you remember your childhood?
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Uh, we we lived uh, um, about a mile from the town, yeah. so we lived on a road with lots of other families. And I remember the summer's evenings you know, we would be, we would go around to the other children's houses and we would play and, you know, we would always be in and out of the other kids' houses. We knew all our neighbors, everybody knew us. We, you know, it was, it was, it was just like, it was like family, I suppose. Um, We were very welcome to to call on anybody or to, to play. Um, and it was, it was beautiful, really. And it, I, I suppose I have vivid memories of, Um, the summer's evenings because in Ireland it doesn't get dark and the summer's evenings until about 10 at night so we would be playing out yes (laughs) we'd be playing outside and you know then we'd have to go home you wouldn't realize how dark how late it was because it was still bright and that's you know in winter on the the other hand it gets it gets dark very early about you know four, four half four in the afternoon so we'd make the most of the summer's evenings and just play until it was dark and there was, there was no danger. We were, we, our parents didn't know where we were. We were in one of the houses and, and we'd be home, but we were fine. We were together and we were with the neighbors and we were fine. Um, and that was beautiful, you know, it was so safe and secure and just, just such happy childhood memories of, of being a child and just playing. And yeah, it was beautiful.
0: Did you ever see a leprechaun?
1: Well, Tom, I do tell my children a story about the time I saw The Leprechaun, but I'm not sure we want to go there. (laughs) I want to
0: hear the story! (laughs) (laughs) Quickly, quickly,
1: let's do it. Well, I was out at the clothesline in my parents' house and I heard something in, in hiding in the blocks that they have, the firewood next to their house, and I heard something, and I heard two leprechauns fighting over the crock of gold. And they were saying, you give it to me. No, you give it to me. I'm not doing the accents that I usually do for my children. They were fighting. And I thought I went over to have a look, and with that, they disappeared. And I never saw them again. So that's never the next story. Never again.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah.
0: We, we don't really have anything like that in Australia. <laughs> so consider yourself lucky. Oh, wow. Okay, so... Fast forward, you found yourself in Australia. Yes, Does that come to happen.
1: <laughs> that is a very good question. Um, that is a very good question. The first time I met my my lovely husband, he asked me, "Had I been to Australia?" And I told him that I hadn't, and I never wanted to go. So, <laughs> mm, yes, I suppose it's all down to Mick. Okay, um, Mick. Did, yes.
0: Mick. Yes, Mick is the husband. Yes, Mick. Where did you meet Mick?
1: Uh, I met Mick in Dublin in two thousand and seven. I was, I was, I had been doing, I had been working full time for a pro life group called Youth Defence, but I had uh, given up that job and I had gone back to full time teaching. And I, but I was still hanging around very much with the pro life people because we were still very much involved and um, Mick came along. He had been in London doing uh, a working holiday visa for about a year and he had decided to come to, go to Ireland for a year before he came back to Australia. So we were hanging around in the same circles and that was it. <laughs> I met Mick and the rest is history. And
0: then he somehow convinced you to leave Ireland that sounds so beautiful and green and magical and come to Australia. Yes. Mum did something similar, I think. Yes. You and my mum yeah. have a lot in common. You left wonderful sure places to come to another wonderful place. Australia is a very wonderful place.
1: This is um, very true. Well, I guess, you know, when you marry somebody from another country, you can never rule out completely going and living in this country. And I never, once, <laughs> once Mick and I were married, I actually I never ruled out coming to Australia, um, and we we married in two thousand and eight. So um, that was when the recession hit Ireland very badly, and we we had we had our first child very quickly after we got married, and um, it was just really hard to get ahead. Um, Mick was working very hard. He was working in the IT industry at the time, and you know Ireland was. It was just really hard rent was really high we were renting a house in dublin and we we weren't in a position to to buy a house um, we didn't know what to do how to get ahead how to you know make a home for our family i had given up teaching i was at home with with our little baby daughter um and we so we explored the options of coming to australia and um you know it was obviously very it was quite painful because you know to leave my home my parents especially my sister my only sister um but i if i guess if god wants you to do something he does give the grace and he did give me the grace and my my lovely husband always said that you know we would try it we would try it for two years and if i wasn't happy he was he was prepared to take me back to ireland again
0: Aww, <laughs>
1: he he' he's wonderful he's really wonderful um and you know the, we 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 packed our bags and we said our very painful goodbyes and we came to australia um which you know australia i i found it very difficult, not because <laughs> because people, everybody was so nice to me and couldn't everybody couldn't have been more helpful, but it was just so hugely different to what I was used to.
0: Can you give me some um, some specifics? I mean, um, so so I've already previously mentioned that you've got a lot in common with my mother. Um, Mum yes. left her uh homeland of uh, the United States, her entire family, and came out to yeah. Australia. And Mum describes that as just a you know, you you cannot describe the shock to the system in terms of the differences. Yeah. So can you, from, from your perspective, can you give me some um, sure. bit of illustration of what, specifically? Um,
1: I suppose to say everything is, is not an understatement, but even, you know, when I came first, the seasons were all wrong. <laughs> you know, we came in March and it felt like summer to me. And then we headed into winter Australian winter which also felt like summer to me and you know you're you're following the church's calendar and you know we had like St. Patrick's Day and Easter and everything was just wrong it's funny how the weather and the seasons and the church calendar are such a part of your life and and then when it's all turned upside down
0: that Literally. was one thing.
1: literally (laughs) turned upside down Um, the heat I really really struggled with because obviously I've never experienced anything like it for such a long time Um, the culture um, and now I appreciate how similar Australians are, Australian and Irish people are in the beginning I found found the culture quite English (laughs) Um, what does that mean? I suppose you know the morning tea culture um high tea things that I would consider very english and i guess i resented that
0: yes i don't do high tea so
1: <laughs> yes. um then you know the lifestyle i guess i'm not used to i i wasn't used to like the barbecue lifestyle the outdoor lifestyle coming here and there the relaxed lifestyle I have come to, to know and love it <laughs> and now that especially now that I have seven children I, I really love that it's it's so low-key in a way and people are relaxed people are very relaxed and I guess it's Australia I don't it's not a terribly formal country um, and people are quite low-key about everything which at times I miss it's nice to you know get dressed up and have serviettes and tablecloths and you know put your best foot forward which I try and do sometimes because it's nice I I like that so so I found it was it was so much to get used to to go from that you know high tea morning tea side of things to then how relaxed it was in other ways to um obviously so many new people um Yes, just being on the other side of the world, so far from my family, not seeing them at all for obviously such a long time, Then um, the time difference was huge because I couldn't speak to them much because of the time difference. Yes, it was huge. The, the weather was a huge factor, though, just acclimatising to, to this crazy heat. I, I just had no idea.
0: But you're still alive today, so you uh, overcame <laughs> it and you're still here.
1: I live to tell the tale. But yes, it was it was good because I guess you have to pull out all the stops within yourself to survive. And um and I I thought, you know what? I really I took took a long hard look at my life and I said, you know, this is a challenge and I'm not going to let it beat beat me. I'm going to I'm going to make this work i'm going to I'm going to make friends. I am going to settle I'm going to make a nice home for my husband and my family and I and I'm going to do my best and I suppose um with God's grace and you know so many nice people around me i yes it did and yeah I, I strongly believe that you have to bloom where you're planted and just you can you make your happiness and yes i I, I couldn't be happier, to be honest. I'm very, very happy here.
0: A story of resilience, flourishing, <laughs> triumph. Susan know oh, that, that's wonderful. That's, that's so good. Um, something you alluded to briefly earlier that is something I really want to explore. Um, when you met Mick, you said you were volunteering or working for a pro life organisation that's right okay so how how long have you been involved in the the pro-life movement um
1: um, since i started university so over 20 years ago i I started with pro-life work um so when i went to university um straight out of school um, one of the first things i did was to join a pro-life society because i i have always felt So strongly about pro life issues, just I'm I'm very passionate about it, and yes, yeah, it's I've been involved ever since.
0: Okay, I was going to ask you why you feel so strongly, but that's probably a really stupid question. I mean, uh, just thinking from terms of Catholics per Mm -hmm. se are pro life, but not every Catholic throws themselves headlong into pro life activity mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so you know what was it Th- this is probably an unfair question so let's just let's just go with it and what what okay. it about the pro-life movement that attracts you to it
1: um <laughs> this is another one of the, the, one, the ones that pulls at my heartstrings uh, i just i just passionately believe in the absolute right to life of each and every baby each and every baby of of each and every human being not just not especially the most vulnerable of all the the unborn child in the mother's womb but but all human life you know up to old age um i i remember i was i think i was 3 yes i was 3 it was in 1983 there was a, a pro life referendum in ireland and it's one of my earliest memories i remember my mother yes it was my mother Telling me to pray for the the unborn babies, and I remember, I remember then feeling so strongly about it, and I remember praying Hail Marys for unborn babies because it it just it just appalls me. I I am just so upset at the thought of what happens to to unborn babies in their mother's womb in the name of choice or freedom or anything else under the sun, and to know what is done to these babies and to stand idly by and do nothing I just can't yeah. I just can't I you know we've been given a voice God has given each one of us a voice and I so strongly feel that we have to use our voice for these little ones who have none yeah. who have no voice and I, I just I have to I just have to I I, I must when I, when I started doing some pro-life work in Australia, that's when I really felt settled because I, I just feel at home doing pro-life work. I just, I feel, I suppose it's just, I feel called to it, absolutely called and convicted and convinced and I, I have to.
0: That's, that's so beautiful. And that's, that's mm. very inspirational because in, in this day and age, I mm. can be pro-life that um, mm. I'm termed Misogynistic, or yeah. you know, archaic, dray, and da Whereas to see a woman who is pro-life, um, that's yeah. that's really inspirational and beautiful. So, can well, I was going to say well done, but
1: <laughs> that's, I,
0: I won't say that. I won't say that. <laughs> that great work, though. Um, so you, you started. or well, It sounds like your your parents. May have nurtured within you this this love for the unborn, and you've obviously got a, a natural tendency towards mm-hmm. that that sort of work, loving it. You're very passionate about it. Um, so, were you saying that university was the first time that you took an active role in in yeah. that area? That's
1: right. Yeah. To be honest, I don't even remember giving it a second thought. I was going to join a pro-life society the second I got to university, so that I could do something. It was it was. <laughs> absolutely a given that I would as early as I could, I would do something for the pro-life movement. do whatever I could. So it it was fantastic. Um, it was great. It, it, I found my home there in, in doing pro-life work.
0: Yeah. And can I ask you what's, what, what is pro-life work?
1: Uh, yeah, good question. Well, I suppose it takes on so many different forms. um, When I was in university we we had a a pro-life society so having a presence in a university for a start is is huge and we would have uh, we would set up we we would call them information days and we would set up um, a stall in the busy areas on campus you know every every month or so I can't remember exactly now and we would um we would have we would show pictures of aborted babies, and we would hand out information, and we would collect signatures. Um, to, we were always lobbying the government to try and keep Ireland's laws pro-life, um, and and just just to talk to people about abortion, just to have a presence, just so that if people wanted to talk, they could. Just being a voice. Um, that was one of the things we would do. We would uh, we organized a number of trips to schools to talk to high school students about pro-life issues to try and raise awareness of the development of the child in the womb. Because if people know how, how beautifully and how early the child develops in the womb, it's very hard to then turn around and say, well, I think they should be aborted. Um, Because the child develops so early and so beautifully and their heart is beating at 21 days old. And there's so many beautiful facts that if people know, I think it would be very hard. It is very hard for people to then turn around and say, well, I think you should have an abortion because this is a real person we're talking about. So I suppose education, awareness, um, that was our big mission. Then we brought over a number of pro-life speakers to the university. Um, One of them was was a nurse who has since died. Her name was Joan Appleton and she was involved in the abortion industry for a long time and in, she says herself that she, she assisted in killing 10,000 babies and she had a huge conversion and became pro-life and then dedicated her life to to trying to, to end abortion so she came to our university and spoke and that was amazing because we i still remember we had a huge crowd and um, people wanted to hear her story and again just spreading the pro-life message letting people know what it's really like inside an abortion clinic that how women are treated which unfortunately is not kindly or well um, and letting people know what abortion actually is what actually happens to the baby what the women are told, this is just a blob of cells that, that the, the, it, there there's nothing there. So it won't feel any pain. The lies women are told over and over um, and just just, telling people what abortion is and letting them see pictures which people hate to see. I remember, you know, being at a stall, having a stall in the university one day and our boards being kicked because people were, were so angry that we were showing the pictures.
0: Mm. But, can, but, I, can I ask you a question on that? So what was the attitude back then when you first started? Would that have been around yeah. the 80s? It was um, in
1: 1998. I went to university.
0: All oh, right. Okay. Not quite the eighties. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Not quite the eighties. Not that old, Tom. <laughs>
0: uh, what? Uh, um. What? So. So. What was the attitude towards that work you were doing back then?
1: Well, it was mostly good. We we definitely got hostility, but it was mostly positive, with some hostility. Um, but Could, well,
0: bit bit. This day and age, if you were to go do something like that at a university in Brisbane proper, you would mm-hmm. be a minority and mm-hmm. you rest assured 99.99 of those people walking past your store would be looking at you going, "Ugh, you know, you guys, yeah. are, you don't get it or something quite like that. Um, yeah. A little bit different back then.
1: Yes. You know, when you put it like that, yes, very different, mostly positive. So, you know, abortion became legal in Ireland two years ago in 2018, the referendum sadly was passed. So in, in 20 years, you know, that changed hugely, hugely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, from university, um, what sort of action did you get involved in from from there?
1: Um, uh, I, let me see after that I qualified as a teacher and we would still then after university, I was a part of the pro life group youth defense that I mentioned earlier um, and we would do we would do um, street sessions we would call them, which was the same thing having a stall in the city in in cork city um, maybe once a month or so and handing out pro-life information, again, showing the pictures of the aborted babies, collecting signatures for a petition against abortion, um, and just being a pro-life witness, just showing, we had fetal models with the development of the baby in the womb, showing the size of the baby at different stages of pregnancy, which people, especially women, always love because it's so real and tangible to see the actual size. Um, And, what else did we do after that so that was the main thing oh yes every year um youth defense would have a road show around ireland so we i went on that many times we'd um we'd go to maybe oh, i don't know 20 towns or so over uh, 10 days we, we, we would have two teams we would split up and go to do two towns each day with our street sessions information handing out information pro-life information um and again showing the pictures and talking to people about abortion just talking 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 engaging with people asking them why they are you know why they feel strongly for abortion and just trying to trying to show them the humanity of the unborn child and tell them you know what actually happens and show them the pictures and tell them the testimonies of people who have worked in the abortion industry and who are on the other side now and why they are. And then, you know, answering their hard questions about, you know, for example, rape or incest and um, trying to speak, you know, kindly and with love and showing them the truth of abortion. And I guess, you know, many, many babies were saved from that pro-life work because once people see abortion, I'm firmly convinced that they have to be against it because it's it's not pretty. It's it's anything but pretty and it's I, I feel so strongly that the pictures have to be shown because how can you know that you're for something if you if you aren't faced prepared to face the reality of what it actually looks like? That
0: that is such an interesting point. And uh, I I want to ask you two questions. First one, completely mm-hmm. unrelated. I'll get this one out of the way first. Did yeah, you can say you qualified as a teacher?
1: Yes. Are you a teacher? Yes. There you go. Well,
0: I'm, I'm not sure I even knew that. What do you teach? What did you teach?
1: I taught the Irish language.
0: As in Gaelic? Yes. I, I, I was going to ask you that, and I think <laughs> it may have slipped my mind. So it's, pro, it's providential that you said that because now it's triggered. Can you, can you give me some Gaelic?
1: <laughs> okay,
0: what did you just say?
1: I said hello. It's beautiful the way you say hello in Irish. You say Dia which means God be with you, and the response is, Dia is which means God and Mary be with you. So Dia, wow. Dia so that's, hello. That's the official
0: salutation. Yes. Wow.
1: Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. that 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 is
0: incredible. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you are a you're a language teacher. Yes. You teach Gaelic. I
1: was. How many
0: people try and learn Gaelic these days?
1: Well, it's compulsory in Ireland, so children have to learn it all the way through to to grade twelve, to our grade twelve equivalent, which is the Leaving circuit
0: Good on them.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: That's great. So the majority, or all, all Irish all. young people, can speak fluent Gaelic, or
1: well, <laughs> they should be able to. Um, yes, everybody. Everybody can speak Irish. Everybody can. Yeah.
0: Is it a difficult yes. language to learn? Like, if I threw myself in would I get lucky?
1: It's quite difficult, yeah. Uh, mm. I find
0: most things difficult, so I might leave the Gaelic for uh, a.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you could do it.
0: <laughs> uh, do I do win you
1: Your teaches Irish, actually, exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the old phone up. Um, but, I, OK, back, back to the, the more serious issue we were just discussing. Something I find really interesting, you you raise the point of people needing to confront it because unless you've seen it, you can't really Mm -hmm. form an opinion as to whether you're for or against it. And the the trouble with it today, it seems like it's it's such a sensitive and taboo and emotionally charged issue that, I mean, I'm going to confess, I'll be completely honest, you're talking to me about graphic pictures and models and I'm going... Ooh, I'm sort of getting wheezy. Um, Mm -hmm. Not, you know, just because it's not something that directly affects men. So Mm -hmm. um, I mean, (laughs) how do I say this? It's not our body, which is ironic. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I feel that an issue today is society has sort of cornered this enormous portion of the population into silence on an issue. That is so morally important and charged, and so you just wonder how many people who walk past an abortion stall or a pro-life stall look at it and actually critically analyse what it is that's going on, or do they just go, "I don't actually have the right to have an opinion on this because I'm a man and it's not my and it's not my body." Mm-hmm. Like, when you're out doing the wonderful work you do. Do you find that people are receptive to you engaging?
1: Um, I suppose when, when we would be on the streets with the pro-life information stalls, you can very quickly see, you know, some people would approach the stall and are just aghast to see these pictures and horrified, absolutely horrified, that in this day and age, we allow this to happen to unborn babies horrified and they are so supportive and encouraging and you know so happy to sign their name to a petition to you know to to try and stop you know abortion ever coming into Ireland um but then there there were many people who would be very angry at us for showing the pictures because because they would say well, it's a woman's right to choose, and a woman, you know, can do what she wants with her own body. And very often, when we would, you know, talk to these people and just try and understand where they are coming from, it would come out that they themselves had had an abortion. And you know, you you can only imagine for somebody who has allowed this to happen to their own baby to actually see to actually see what happened would be very traumatic. So, you know, I can understand why people would be so horrified and then angry at us for showing these pictures because in a way, you're, I suppose, shooting the messenger, um, because it, abortion is awful, it's, it's horrific. And, you know, when you realise, many people, you know, pass these stalls and realise that I allowed this to happen to my own baby. No, they didn't do it themselves, but they allowed a doctor to do this to their own baby. It's absolutely heart-wrenching and stomach-turning and so very upsetting to face that reality.
0: I really appreciate you. Taking the time to talk about this issue because it, it is one that I think, especially to uh, take a, a lot of young Catholics today, there are so many moral issues that are that, that cause such confusion that we're sitting in this sort of tumultuous vortex of society, not sure mm. how to look at these issues and and um come to terms with them. So it's really important that I think we get to talk to people like yourself who are, um, I guess, on, on the front line. Do you mind if I throw a couple of the tougher questions at you? Sure. Uh, and I think sure. I'm in a great position here because I am the guy and you are the woman. So one of, one of the points um, that seems to be more Commonly made today, especially if, if you're, you ever find yourself as a male taking a pro-life stance in a discussion, it's not your body. You know, you're a guy, you can't possibly understand what we go to. It's our body, it's our right to choose. Um, what would your response be or what are your thoughts uh, on that point?
1: Well, I suppose it's very easy for somebody to say to a man, it's not your body. It's not your right to choose when it comes to the woman wanting to do what she wants. However, you know, on the other hand, if a woman goes ahead and has this baby and needs the father of the child to support it, the it's very, ladies can be very quick to say, well, this is your child and you must support it, which of course is true. This is, the man's child and he has a moral duty to support that child um, however <laughs> um, you know it's i think it's it's so important for for men to to stand strongly on this issue because so many times i think women feel pressured to have into having an abortion because they don't have a man to stand by them. And they don't have a, very often a man is, is strongly encouraging a woman. And I've often seen it happen outside abortion clinics where, where the men are, are forcing women to have abortions. Um, And for a man to stand strongly and say, I will support you in having a baby and I will do everything I can. And I will be a father to this child. And I will be I will be what I should be. I think it's very often is what a woman wants to hear. Um, And, you know, so many times, so often you hear the women go go through with abortions because, because the men aren't supportive. And I feel, you know, it's up to men to stand strong and say, no, we are there for you. I'm there to, to support you through this. And, I think that's really what women want to hear a lot of the time.
0: And do you think that the the underlying problem, because it seems like that the tidal wave that's coming over society now is going in the direction of pro-abortion, pro-everything that fundamental Mm -hmm. morality would teach. So the trend today is to be not pro-life. Do you yeah. think, is that, but based on your experience, is it an educational issue or is it more complex than that?
1: I think it is, Tom. I really think it is, you know because when you show people what abortion is it is amazing before your eyes they will say wow I never knew I have heard that so many times I never knew that that was actually what happened because they are told it is it is a clump of cells it's the the it's a procedure it's a fetus it doesn't feel anything so many times this is what you hear that people are told and and I know this you know there's several recordings have been done of inside the abortion industry and this is what they tell women whereas if people know the reality of what abortion actually is I strongly believe that women still have huge maternal instinct and when often you know when people when ladies are pregnant and they they go and they see their baby on an ultrasound they want to give that baby life they can't they can't let that baby be aborted. They have heard the heartbeat, they have heard, uh-huh. seen their baby move, and, and they just can't because, because it, it's truly their baby and it's alive and it's kicking and it has a right to life. And the maternal instinct is so very strong that uh, I believe when, when they know what abortion is and when they see their baby, those two things, I believe it's life-changing, literally.
0: So, so do, do you think that society could the problem be that society, on a large scale, has done such a good job of just silencing the issue?
1: That yes, possible exactly.
0: to be educated, and therefore you can't actually solve on something that is so morally fundamental.
1: I, I I strongly agree with you, Tom. You know, if you know, it, it's so hard even to find pro life information for people. Sometimes, you know. But because when it gets out there, when people know what abortion is and see it and know about the development of the baby, and then if they're pregnant and actually see their baby on an ultrasound, you know, it was a window to the womb, you know, back in the 80s. That's what they were calling ultrasound. And it has saved so many babies. And the same is true today. If if people, when people see their babies on an ultrasound, it, it changes everything. It's it's education.
0: That's that, that's that's incredible. And the, the the difficulty is because I mean from from my perspective it's the, it, it's that that fundamental right to life post conception mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. clump of cells whatever you want to call it is left undisturbed on its natural progress it will turn into you and me you know the, the same difference exactly. between that the the embryo and you know four weeks, six weeks is the same chain of progression between a, mm-hmm. a four-year-old and a, and a five-year-old. You know, it's, exactly. it's just time and development.
1: Um, that's exactly just time and, and shelter, just like we all need is, it, you know, is it, a roof over our heads. And that's exactly what the unborn baby needs, nothing else.
0: Huh, so interesting. Do you notice... It, it, the, a different climate from Ireland to Australia on that issue because you've been very active in the pro-life industry in both countries. How do they compare?
1: Oh, Australia was was very confronting. um After we moved to Australia, within I think within a couple of weeks, uh, with a, an Irish, another pro-life girl that I know from from the pro-life work in Ireland, we we went outside an abortion clinic and just. Being outside an abortion clinic where abortions were actually taking place, I found so very confronting because, you know, we, I was doing pro-life work in Ireland, but thankfully our laws still back then protected the unborn child. But in Australia, it was actually happening and it was so, it was so commonplace. I just couldn't believe that a building on the side of a street with, you know, a sign outside the door um you know family planning or dr marie or something very bluzzy um that's the that's thing where abortion you're looked is. on as
0: the strange one for yeah kneeling down outside the abortion clinic that, that's Absolutely. the thing people by and they go oh look at those weirdos and exactly. what's going on inside exactly. is
1: exactly adorable. exactly like you know women were going in um yes i'll never forget my first time i was just i was so traumatized and so upset by just being there just just knowing what was going on and yet you know the world didn't stop the traffic continued to whiz past you know people looked at us like we as weirdos because we we were kneeling praying and, and just feeling so emotional about it all and and life went on, and these babies were dying—such horrific deaths inside that building. I was, I was so traumatized, um, and so I, I knew I had to do something. So I, I tried to organize some people to have, um, to go outside abortion clinics, um, to go outside an abortion clinic and pray. And we did. And I, I felt I, I find it very difficult not to stop myself from talking to people as they're going in because. I feel, you know, I have to do, I have to do everything that I can to try and, and speak up for the, the unborn child within that mother's womb and who was, who was going to meet its death. Um, and I, I would I would try and talk to people going in. I remember one of the first times meeting a couple going in and I was talking to them and I was trying to, you know, I tell them about, you know, the, the, their baby who was, you know, developing in, in, in the mother's womb. And, you know, I was, I was saying to the guy, you know, who knows it it might be a boy just like you and have your eyes and your hair and, you know, be just like you interested in all the same things as you. And he said to me, his words were, I would prefer to kill the effing thing. And <laughs> I was just so traumatized by this. And, and he said, we, we were here for one last month. Uh, As well, or a couple of months ago, as well, she didn't want to go back on the pill because she'd put on too much weight. So it's just easier to get another abortion. And (laughs) this was just completely mind blowing to me because human life was so cheap and so it meant absolutely nothing to them that she would prefer to have an abortion rather than go on the pill. Not that, not that I would encourage anybody to go on the pill at all, but. It was just so blessy and yes, I was very traumatized and it it nearly put me off going outside, continuing outside the abortion clinics because it was so traumatizing to to hear people speak like that about their own child, but... um, i resolved to go back because if you if you lie down and do nothing that's letting letting the enemy win so we would go back and we would pray and i, I had a, a few good pro life friends and we would go every week and pray outside one particular abortion clinic and then we, we would do that. We, would, we I don't know how long we did that for, for, for quite some time. Um, and then one day I happened to get an email from um, Catholic coordinators, which I'm not. I'm sure you've heard, but it's an email that goes around in the Brisbane area. And it was an email letting people know that about a baby who had been saved. <laughs> and I also get emotional when I talk about this, because about outside the abortion clinic that we used to pray outside, that we were praying outside. And uh, talk about this girl who went there and she she went in and that day we, we hadn't approached them. We hadn't we hadn't approached, we hadn't been approaching people for a while, um, and I'll tell you why. Because this person went in and she heard us praying, and she went in and she was lying on the abortion table, she was gowned up, she was ready for the procedure, and the our father kept going around in her head. And she she got up. We'd been praying the Our Father. And she passed in and she got up and she said, I can't do it. I can't do it. All I can hear is the Our Father going around in my head. I can't do it. And she walked out. And the, the email said, wanted this email wanted to, to let people know who praying outside the abortion clinic to please keep going because, you know, you're saving babies and you don't even know it. And I was just so inspired by that because just, just the prayer alone, not talking, not doing anything, just praying. So, um we, we persevered with that because you know, prayer just changes things as we know. Um, and that, that baby's life was saved. And that was, that was a beautiful thing.
0: Well, well, I think you've just preempted my next question. Um, two, two points I want to, to raise with you. So how often is it that you feel like your action is successful for none of a better term? Like I'm just mm-hmm. sure in your work, you come into contact with lots and lots of people do you do mm-hmm. you feel like you you constantly have success, or is it fifty fifty, or are you just hanging out for those rare moments when somebody stops and corresponds with the I guess the grace in your message?
1: Well, um, well Tom, I guess I've been doing pro life work for twenty two years since I was eighteen, and that's that's the only positive feedback I've ever had. Um, so I guess they're pretty rare.
0: That's well, um, tough work.
1: It's tough work. It's very tough work. Um, You know, when we would do pro-life street sessions in Dublin every Saturday when I was, when I was there and, you know, Many times people came up and said to us, you know, I had my baby because of you guys. I, I passed your your stall on the street. I saw the pictures of abortion and I couldn't do it. So, you know, we would get positive feedback like that every now and again. And we would just be, oh, so ecstatic to hear that because, it, it you know, for me, saving one baby, it makes it all worthwhile. I would, I would give my whole life just to save one baby. So... Um, Yes, any positive feedback and anything at all is just so encouraging. And, yes, I I hope, you know, I'm resolved never to give up, no matter what, whether if we get feedback or not. It's not, it's it's lovely to hear. It's wonderful and so encouraging to hear that a baby has been saved, but it's very, very rare. But that doesn't deter us. We persevere.
0: So is that just a very polite way of giving Australia the ultimate condemnation? Like, do do you think, we we hear stories of Australia being notoriously um, atheistic, sceptic, secular. And I Mm -hmm. think earlier in our conversation, you referred to Australia's reputation as being laid back. I think that carries across all the different uh, forums, including morality. Um, yeah, but, but but is is that something you've found? So, do you think Australia's blase approach towards the issue of abortion is is that particular to Australia?
1: Sadly, I don't think it is, Tom. You right. know, you know, I was horrified, really horrified, and heartbroken that two years ago. The, in, an, in a referendum in Ireland, you know, abortion was passed by a huge majority, 66%, you know. I think the moral decline, it, it's not just Australia, it's, it's everywhere, it's Catholic Ireland, it's, Catholic Ireland is, is a thing of the past. It's, it's, it's very sad, but it's, it's reality.
0: Right, okay. Well, that is sad. I want to ask you, what is the best moment you've had from all the the wonderful and tireless work you've done in the pro life industry? Is there a moment that sticks out in your mind as you know I would lose ninety nine days, but just to get that one little win there, that is worth it. Can can you share? That?
1: Um, I think I've already told you, Tom. It, you know I it that could have been. That, that, baby, <laughs> that baby, you know, I, I still. still remember just getting that email and realizing that oh my goodness that baby was saved I know it was us I know we that's we're the only ones who pray outside that clinic and she heard us praying the our father and that baby was saved and yes it, it still gives me goosebumps just just to save one baby but you know you do get you do get lots of of nice moments or well when when I was in Ireland doing pro-life work you would get lots of nice moments when you talk to somebody and they're they're adamantly pro-abortion and you don't understand and you know what about rape and what about this and what about that and you talk to them for a long time and you and then they say they come around and they they realize and they look at the pictures of aborted babies and you say How can you ever, ever justify doing this to an innocent baby that is given no painkillers? This is what they're subjected to. They never get to, to see the light of day. They never, ever get to breathe fresh air. How can you ever justify that? And people come around and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And you can see almost the scales falling off somebody's eyes and... That's that's really special too. It's really special.
0: So not not to uh, end on a on a downer, but I want to ask how you feel about the the government's effectively legislating your ability to do pro life work away. So that they, they haven't done that completely, but they've really put a lot of restrictions on your ability to to lobby and protest for none of the better term outside of yeah. abortion clinics. What what's the future? of pro life action around the world.
1: This is the thing. I mean, this I find this so upsetting too because we still try and go and pray outside the abortion clinic, but we have to be, you know, 150 meters down the road. So you can't engage with people. You can't, you're lucky if they even see you passing. So it's so hard to reach people. And this is tragic, you know, this is tragic because there are times when there are people going into a, an abortion clinic and they are just crying out for help, literally with their eyes, I've seen girls going into clinic just begging with their eyes, begging for help, just begging for somebody to talk to, just begging for somebody to say, "I'll be there for you, I'll help you," um, and and now you can't do that, and it's it's tragic, um, I I suppose you know yes, the internet is is a very valuable way of reaching people too but being outside the clinic and being on the spot, you know, has had, has been so effective for so long and now we can't do that. Um, so it's, it's tragic. I feel, I feel so angry about it because mm-hmm. you know, it, it's so wrong. You can, you can stand outside an abortion clinic for anything else, but you can't, you can't pray and you can't hand out information and oh, it's so wrong.
0: Yeah. It's not only frightening, but disgusting. Um, because if it, it, it is just an educational issue, well, they've really silenced your ability to educate mm-hmm.
1: myself. Um, mm-hmm.
0: to, to my mind, it's such a simple issue. It's not an easy issue, but it's a simple issue. Because if you, if you make it the issue of the, the integral value of a human life, which not everybody mm-hmm. acknowledges, but if you do mm-hmm. value human life, well, then there are really no exceptions. The, the rape, the incest... There's still yes. a human life at stake, yes. an innocent human life that is of incomparable value um, that you have no right to take the life from.
1: Exactly.
0: But we just can't have that discussion. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, yes. I just feel, you know, so much for free speech, you know, free speech yeah. as long as you don't talk about this and this and this. But and that's abortion. the world you live in.
0: Yeah, on on every issue. That's the problem with free speech, I guess, is it
1: the
0: the person who dictates what the free speech is, is the strongest person in the room. (laughs) So they're always going to be strong-arming the uh, the free speech, unfortunately. Uh, Horrible, horrible world. Well, there, there you go. Well, on more positive notes, you've got seven wonderful children.
1: Yes, we do yes we do we have seven children from 11 down to nine months so we're really blessed Blessed.
0: Yep. and i assume they're all asleep at the moment i can't I hear so. noise in the background
1: <laughs> that's good that's good i think mick is doing a great job out there trying to trying to keep things quiet
0: Nah, that's terrific susan i'm gonna let you go but i cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come on this this has been such a invaluable, interesting conversation that I can't wait to share, really talking about an issue that goes to the heart of so much going on out in the world today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on.
1: Tom, thank you and thank you for your time and, and thank you for your great work putting on this show and highlighting these really important issues. You know, you're, you're brave and you're, I really commend you. Thank you.
0: My absolute pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Susan. That concludes the show for today. Really hope you enjoyed it. Please like, share, subscribe and get this show out there. Until next time, thanks for joining me in the lounge room.